Hello and welcome to Vet Chloe on the Road. Insights from real people making positive change for our planet. I am Chloe, a veterinarian who has an interest in wildlife and all things environmental. And this is a show for people who would like to connect, learn, and prioritize caring for our beautiful green and blue world. Come join me as I travel around Australia in my van, Layla. Let's share all things conservation and meet all the inspiring environmental heroes along the way. And on today's podcast, after having travelled from Byron Bay to now Airlie Beach, I'll be reporting on two places I explored that are significant to wildlife. The first is Monopo Conservation Park, which supports the largest concentration of nesting sea turtles on the eastern Australian mainland and is the most significant loggerhead sea turtle nesting population in the South Pacific region. The second is Yungala National Park, the longest continual stretch of subtropical rainforest in Australia and home to the elusive and shy platypus. Welcome guys, thanks for tuning in. There is of course still an episode this week, but unfortunately there is no interview as I have been exploring national parks and being a government organization, when I called up to ask for an interview, they had to decline due to media clearance. As much as I wanted to, there was that red tape, which was a shame, but not to worry. I have done my research and would love to share with you on what interesting things I have learned about turtles and the platypus along the way. If you're wondering, the platypus plural can either be the platypi or platypuses, both the same. So I have notes here. Um, apologies if it sounds a little bit staggered. It is different to doing an interview, but I hope that you gain a lot of interesting knowledge and I hope that I present it in a way that is somewhat uh, entertaining and easy for you to gain some great concepts. Um, I did a Vet Locum Week in Bundaberg, which is known in Australia for its Bundaberg rum. My brother Oliver and I did do their rum tour as well, but on the coast is Mon Repos, um, and they have a turtle center there, which we visited Monrepo and its surrounding waters are within what's called the Wungara Marine Park, and that was declared in 1991. And this marine park safeguards the reefs that the turtles use. Um, unfortunately, it was not the high season, and sadly, timing was off for us to see turtles in action. So it is now August, but the nesting season is November to January, and the hatchling season is January to March. So who knows, maybe next year or another year I will catch them in action. Because reading from the Monrepo website, here's what they say, it really sounds quite fantastic. They write, it is an amazing sight to see these huge creatures heaving their way up the beach to find a safe spot to dig a nest and lay their eggs. And then, if you're lucky, to come back some six to eight weeks later and see the tiny hatchlings emerging from their sandy nest to scurry down the beach towards the seas. So, wow! I mean, I would love to experience that, especially the seeing of them hatch. Mum and I we're in Costa Rica about three years ago and we did see leatherback turtles come up the beach and lay their eggs and that was phenomenal too. Um, at Monrepo, they have Queensland Parks and Wildlife Service Ranger Guides. Bit of a mouthful, but basically people who uh, can help guide visitors to prevent any disruption to the turtles and ensure their successful breeding. So it's all done uh, properly. Um, and at the beach of Monrepo, there is no light or lamps as this deters the turtles from nesting. Also, crucially, no dogs are allowed on the nesting beaches. But the Monrepo Turtle Center was open and was full of information. And let me tell you a bit of what I learned. 
So the three turtles seen at Monarpo are the green turtle, the loggerhead turtle, and the leatherback turtle. The leatherback being the largest sea turtle, and they can grow to a whopping two meters in length. The life cycle of the tur- turtle is that the female, uh, she nests several times during the breeding season. She mostly nests at night to avoid the heat, and she can actually store sperm from mating at sea. And every two weeks, she comes out onto the land to lay her eggs. So that is the November to January period. When it is not breeding season, she returns to her feeding grounds um, until the following year. And like crocodiles, uh, the sex of the turtle is determined by the temperature of the sand. So interestingly, the dark, warm sand of Monarpo produces mostly female hatchlings, while the white, cool sand of the Great Barrier Reef produces mainly male hatchlings. After around eight weeks of incubating, turtle eggs start to hatch. Uh, For about a day, the hatchlings stay in their eggshells, unfurling and absorbing uh, the yolk and storing energy up for their big journey ahead. Because when the hatchlings do make their mad dash to the ocean's edge, uh, they've got a lot of a lot of things happening. One of them is actually becoming imprinted with the area's unique magnetic field. And this is all to do with the moon and the direction of the waves. It's not fully understood. It's a bit mystical, but it is crucial because this is their uh, tracking device for where they came from, which will play a part later in their life cycle. Uh, For most male turtles, when they reach the water, this is the last time they will touch land again. Uh, The little hatchlings, they swim frantically for around three days before they get caught up in the strong currents of the open ocean and drift south into the vast southern Pacific Ocean. There they find feeding grounds and swim tens of thousands of miles. But when the breeding season starts... They return to their original breeding grounds using the Earth's magnetic force to navigate. I just find that just incredible. Um, And for turtles, around the age of 30 is when they start breeding. Um, and, And turtles live for 60 to 80 years, some to 100. And even without human impacts, because out of a thousand hatchlings, only one will survive until maturity which is around 30 years old, six out of the seven sea turtle species worldwide are classified as threatened. Now, a little segue, if you're like me, what does threatened mean? What do all these different conservation statuses mean? Um, What's the definitions of them? So I've looked it up for us, um, what these different conservation statuses are. Um, They're used to indicate how likely that species is to become extinct. And the status is based not only on the number of individuals remaining, but also the overall increase or decrease of the population over time, the breeding success rates, and the known threats. And the IUCN, the International Union for Conservation of Nature, is the best-known worldwide conservation status listing. And it includes nine groups um, from which extinct and the most extreme risk of extinction Uh, goes to the least extreme, and it goes as follows. Extinct, extinct in the wild, critically endangered, endangered, vulnerable, near-threatened, least concern, data-deficient, not evaluated. And the term threatened is a group of critically endangered, endangered and vulnerable species, um, indicating that their populations are decreasing. So threatened includes all those three. 
the terms are pretty self-explanatory, but the main ones to know of are those four in the middle, from high to low risk of critically endangered, endangered, vulnerable, and near-threatened. That way, when you hear those terms, you kind of know um, what stage they're in, how at risk they are. And if interested, uh, what those seven sea turtle species in the world are, um, looked it up, and it is the loggerhead, the green, the leatherback, the hawksbill, the Kemp's Ridley, the Olive Ridley, and the Flatback. And out of these, as we said, six out of the seven are threatened. Um, but out of these, the critically endangered are the Hawksbill and the Kemp's Ridley. The endangered are the Green and the Loggerhead. And the vulnerable are the Leatherback and the Olive Ridley. And the one which is not classed as threatened is the flatback. But that is because it is data deficient, which is almost worse because we have no idea. It could very well be, you know, critically endangered. Um, So to address the threats the turtles have, um, they are varied, they are challenging. Um, Here are a few. Number one, as the well-known story goes, Australia's native animals have had severe losses from introduced species. And the turtles do not sadly escape from this either. The feral pig was introduced as food for European settlers, and the fox was introduced in the mid-1800s for the game of shooting. Programs are in place to help reduce these numbers. Feral pigs are more difficult to control than foxes and continue to destroy around 90% of the turtle nests each year in the Cape York area. So that's not here, but this is the very tip of Oz, just north of Cairns. That tip shape is the Cape York area. Also, the fishing industry has been a problem with troll nets and loose lines causing entanglement and the death of turtles. Now there are trolling nets designed with what's called turtle excluder devices, TEDSs, which allow turtles and large marine life to escape unharmed. Trolling during the peak breeding season of November to January um, is no longer allowed. And also in the shallow feeding grounds, there are laws for motorized boats and jet skis to go slow to help avoid propeller injuries um, and other disturbances. And, you know, turtles are close to me at heart as well because back home in Bermuda we have um, green turtles which are being protected and we have, you know, lots of signs when you're motorboating around to stay slow and to not have propeller injuries because if you do run over a turtle then they go over to the Bermuda Aquarium where they can hopefully patch them up Um, but hopefully it can be avoided in the first place. Uh, So other threats include uh, coastal development, marine debris, of which turtles swallow accidentally um, bits of plastic as food, uh, global warming, ocean pollution, oil spills. These are all just a few other things that they have to battle against. Uh, Tagging and high-tech satellite tracking helps uncover the mystery of the turtles more and their population trends. The good news is that at the end of the 2004-2005 breeding season at Monrepo, research shows the local loggerhead population is established um, or is establishing after decades of decline. So that is great. To be honest, the more I found out, the more I had questions. Uh, But I hope you've learned something interesting from what I've just gone through. These are incredible animals. Um, And I loved visiting Monrepo Beach. Even though there were no turtles to see, it was such a peaceful place. Um, And I did take my first drone shot of it. It's magnificent. Um, Nothing like seeing it from the air. Um, Our drone is a serious bit of equipment, extremely technical. But we will be getting it more up in the air, um, downloading and sharing images with you because they are fantastic. Um, And just out of interest, you know, Oliver and I uh, were getting many sandfly bites on the beach, even though it was a peaceful spot. 
while working the drone, we had to stay focused. And now even five days later, we are still scratching madly at them. But I have found that tea tree oil does seem to help. So back into Le Levin, we traveled again north. Um, we are going in an anti-clockwise direction around Australia. Um, and we are now in Airlie Beach uh, by the beautiful Whitsunday Islands. On the way, we ducked into Yungla National Park, which is 80 k's west of Mackay on the edge of the Clark Range. It truly is a wonderful detour to make. I strongly recommend you do do it if you are in the area. So it is lush subtropical rainforest uh, with mountains in the background. And this place is very special as it is one of the few places in Australia where you can see the elusive and shy platypus. Uh, the platypus is a strange animal. Uh, luckily, its conservation status is least concern, but they are very rare to see in the wild, and this was our mission. The platypus is that strange Aussie animal that baffled the European naturalists back in the day. They are an egg-laying, duck-billed, beaver-tailed, otter-footed, semi-aquatic mammal with venom. So what is it? Well, it is classed as a monotreme, one of the three main groups of mammals, based on the fact that they can lay eggs. Yet, as you know, mammals are animals that produce milk for their young. And so when a baby platypus hatches from its egg, it still does nurse from its mother. Pretty wild. Uh, the only other species part of the monotremes are the four species of echidnas, which can be found in Australia. And the platypus can be found in eastern Australia and Tasmania. Oliver and I went to this viewing pool at dusk in the Yungla National Park. There was a small little caravan park there as well where we stayed overnight. Uh, we also went early the next morning at dawn. But at dusk um, was when we were having the most success. Uh, there was a babbling brook at one end and a deeper still pool in the middle, um, which is where the platypus like to uh, dive and hunt. After maybe an hour and a half of waiting, we saw this one platypus. It was so exciting. It was surfacing and diving down many times. I counted 12 sightings, and some were of the platypus swimming on the surface for some length. Um, at one point at the edge of the pool, I was maybe just um, two or three meters away from it, um, not disturbing it, just watching it do its thing. Um, the light was fading, but I could make out its shape, uh, the head, the bill, the body, the tail. It was amazing. Um, I was unable to get a photo, but I was not fussed by that because I was focusing on just enjoying the moment. Uh, but definitely look them up to see for yourself what they look like. And I did share a platypus photo on my Instagram, Vet Chloe, crediting the National Geographic. So you can check it out there too. Something else interesting about the platypus is, as mentioned, they are one of the few mammals to produce venom. Uh, the males have a pair of spurs in their hind limbs that secrete this venom, but it is only seasonally active to the breeding season. And this makes you think and wonder, and it supports the theory that the use of venom is for competition of mates only. So it's there to paralyze the competitors, the other male platypuses. Um, and it's not for protection. It's for competition. So, wow, the extremes of eating uh, a platypus lady. Um, although the venom is described as excruciatingly painful, it is not lethal to us humans. So don't need to worry about that. Um, there is so much more I would love to dive into, uh, but I will wrap it up there. Really, do visit Yungla National Park to see these amazing animals. I have seen a platypus before at Taronga Zoo many years ago, but nothing compares, nothing, nothing, nothing compares to seeing a happy, free, wild animal doing their thing in the natural environment. Um, it's so much more rewarding when you do actually see them. There is no guarantee, so it's extra exciting. 
And to ask myself the question I've been asking and will continue to ask uh, my interviewees is how do I stay inspired? Um, My answer for how I stay inspired to have an interest in helping wildlife is I have a deep sense that all animals belong and deserve on our shared planet just as much as myself or any one of us. And when I look at an animal, I really do have a deep respect and love for them. And I must say, I am always inspired by that feeling. It's basically inspiration from a feeling I get inside. Um, Can't fully explain why I get that feeling, but it just makes me want to be a part of helping and to really value the the lives of animals. Um, And how do I stay inspired when wildlife conservation um, seems tough at times? And I think to myself, what is the alternative, you know? to feeling inspired Um, and inspired energy is a higher happier energy and more effective a more effective energy at being a part of the solution so those are my answers for how do I stay inspired and just want to say thank you for listening guys I hope you enjoyed this podcast Um, it was a little bit different this week and I hope you still found value in it Um, And thank you for your patience as I learn how to podcast and how to interview and how to approach this. Um, And my motto is massive imperfect action. Just get it out there. And I hope that you appreciate that and watch as this all evolves and develops. So if you like the show, I'll be most grateful if you could tell a friend, subscribe, or rate and review on iTunes. It all helps. Next episode, I will have traveled north to Air, a town south of Townsville. I'm doing a week of vet locuming there. And this Sunday will have been a full month since Oliver and I set out in Layla the van from Bondi in Sydney. I've just picked her up from her routine service. We have already done 5,000 Ks since leaving Sydney. And sadly, she needed a new radiator. Ouch. Um, bit of a surprise, Bill. Uh, but you got to do what you got to do. Um, she is otherwise in fabulous nick. Everything is running beautifully. She is only 135,000 Ks, and they can apparently run at least 500,000 Ks. And in the mechanic, they had one at 870,000 Ks. So she can certainly do many laps of Australia if she wished. Um, So next episode, I will have my brother Oliver on the show. He has agreed and he's been very much um, a big, big part of everything to do with Layla. We will discuss the shared planning, creating, building, and now living and traveling in Layla, the converted van. She is very much a part of the adventure and perhaps you would like to do up a van yourself or are simply interested in how to go about it. Uh, Please listen in or tell others that may be interested. We'll also discuss uh, the tiny home industry. get into a bit about that the tiny home industry so if you have any questions you would like me to specifically ask oliver or for us to discuss then please email me at info at betchloe.com and i'll make sure i have a look and include it into the podcast episode so uh till then stay kind and see you at the next stop bye